What is going on? Hello. Welcome into Crossing Broadcast. I've gotten very short. No, I'm not Kyle Pagan. I've also grown facial hair, which Pagan is incapable of doing. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Welcome into Crossing Broadcast. I'm Russ Joy. You may recognize me. You might know who I am. You might not. Uh, about seven years ago, I started this show with the maestro Kyle Scott, with Adam Lefko, and we went on one hell of a run in 2017 into 2018. We capped it off with a Super Bowl win. And so Kincaid and Pagan, they've picked up the mantle. The show's gone through a whole bunch of different iterations. We went from the three original guys to just me and Kyle bitching at each other for an hour and a half at a time. Then we brought Kevin in. And then at some point we took this to the radio, 610 ESPN, where it was me and it was Kevin and it was Bob and it was Anthony, the four of us on 610. That was a lot of fun. Then COVID hit. The show went dark for a while. Then Kincaid brought it back. I don't even remember when it happened, but Kincaid brought it back along with Pagan. And they had a lot of success doing a different kind of show. And last week I found out that Pagan was taking a little bit of time away. And we talked about this last week uh, on the show last Wednesday that Pagan was taking a leave from doing this show. I think he's working on some other things, and Pagan has not been fired. Let's be very clear. I saw some people on Twitter saying, oh, my God, does this mean Pagan's gone? I saw one guy who said that you've taken all the entertainment value of the show away. There's no entertainment left. I am not entertaining. Kincaid is not entertaining, and I guess everyone else at Crossing Broad not entertaining. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, but I'm excited to come back, and it was uh, a very brief thought uh, Kincaid brought this up to me a couple uh, about a week and a half ago or so when Pagan told him that he wanted to take a break um, and Kevin put it out to the crew and said hey what do you think um, do you want to do a show and I said to Kevin if I'm going to do this show I can't commit to doing three shows a week like I used to do with Lefko and Kyle and I said I would like to do a show on Monday where I interact with you the people on YouTube on Facebook and on Twitter and like, let's do that show on a Monday. Let's break down what happened over the weekend. Let's get ourselves, let's decompress from a weekend. Let's get the stage set for later in the week. And then on Thursdays, Kevin is going to be doing a show. He'll be the lead chair. So if, you, if you've fallen in love with the Kinker methodology and the Kinker show, uh, where he has somebody else on as a co-host, and then there's a guest or a third chair, by all means, like that, that's going to be the Thursday show. Um, I plan on doing that show with him a decent bit. There are going to be times where I will not be able to do the show along with Kevin on Thursdays. I can tell you that the company that purchased Crossing Broad XL Media, uh, very big in sports betting, as many of you know, and uh, North Carolina is launching online sports betting in March. So when that happens, and I see Craig smiling behind the glass on the other side, when that happens, I will be here on Mondays. I probably won't be here on Thursdays as much, but um, I'm really excited about this version of Crossing Broadcast. I'm very excited about what we're going to do here. And I want to hear from, from you out there. And so, Craig, if you want to pull the, the thing up, there's a phone number. I set up a phone number because I thought it would be kind of fun for me to hear from you. And I'm not going to take live calls right now. But what I will do is we'll put this number up on the screen. And for those of you who have been living in the comments section here on the Crossing Broad Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, uh, you can let your voice be heard. Leave a message and I will be happy to uh, pull it up on the next show, so next Monday. I don't know if Kinker is going to want to do this on Thursday. I, I cannot envision a scenario where on Thursday Kevin Kincaid is going to say, Oh, yeah, well, uh, let's, let's go to the phones. Let's hear what Andy from Deptford has to say. So I don't think that will happen, but on Mondays I'll be happy to pull them up. And actually we did get, we did get a message, uh, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the show, uh, on that line. But I want to talk to all of you today 
about what we saw over the weekend. And there are a few things that I want to get into. Obviously, we're going to start with the Super Bowl, but there are other things that happen in this city that are that are affiliated and are, are uh, you know part of this. One of the things is Hassan Reddick seeking a trade, uh, getting permission to explore trade possibilities. The Sixers made deals for Buddy Heald. They sent out Pat Bev. Daryl Morey may or may not have told Pat Bev that he would not get traded. Uh, and then Kyle Lowry getting brought back in. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later on as well. The Flyers won over the weekend. If you want to fight about that in the comments, we can talk about that at the end. If you want to talk about the union, wait for Kevin on Thursday. I mean, I love the union. Don't get me wrong. But we're not talking union today. All right, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Let's see what happened last night. Now, I don't know where you were. I don't know what your thought process was. And, and Craig, we're going to bring up as many of these comments. I want this to be as interactive of a Monday show as we can. I want to know what people were thinking going into last night's game because we were one year removed from finding out that the Eagles were going to end up losing in that Super Bowl to Andy Reid and to Patrick Mahomes. And I can tell you that I never envisioned a year ago saying that I was going to root for the Chiefs the following year, but I did. I I rooted hard for the Chiefs last night. Um, And the reason for it was pretty simple. I absolutely – I tell my kids this now. They're starting to get into sports a little bit. And I said – I generally don't hate teams. I don't know what it is. I think it's because I grew up in Schuylkill County, and I hated my rival schools, rival high schools, more than I hated professional sports teams. So, like, I get the idea of hating the Cowboys. I get the idea of hating Cowboys fans. I totally understand it. But, like, I don't feel that as much. And I don't know if it's because I I just genuinely genuinely don't hate the players on the other side, but um, I didn't even hate the Cowboys this year. I didn't like them. I didn't want to see them be successful, but I knew that they would implode. It was just a matter of time. But I hated the San Francisco 49ers. And I will say that without any hesitation. And when my kids last night said, Dad, who are we rooting for? I said, we're rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, my parents, for whatever reason, they were never sports fans. I had this talk with my dad last week. They took me to like a couple Phillies games when I was a kid, but they were not sports fans. And my dad said to me last weekend, he's like, I'm going to cheer for the Chiefs because Andy Reid was a good coach here. And, and I, I want to cheer for him. I said, that's fine. So my parents were rooting for him. I said, if you guys want to root with grandma and grandpa and root for the Chiefs, that's fine. I said, but we're going to root for the Chiefs because we don't like the 49ers. We don't like their fans. We don't like their media. And I think that the one thing that you have to you know, have in consideration is how does a team lose? And when they lose, how did they frame what that loss looked like? And we go back a year. The 49ers get their quarterback knocked out. Brock Purdy's out uh, against the Eagles. And for a full calendar year, we had to sit back and listen nonstop to the bitching, the moaning, the whining of the San Francisco 49ers and their fans. We've had Debo Samuel clowning James Bradbury, which there was no need to. He clowned himself on the field this year. But, like, we had Debo Samuel saying all year about how the 49ers deserved to be in the Super Bowl last year about how if Brock Purdy had been healthy, they would have made it to the Super Bowl. They would have won the Super Bowl. We had the incessant whining of the radio hosts out in San Francisco doing the exact same thing. It was a whole bunch of woe is me. And so for a year, we've had to deal with that. As a collective fan base, we've had to deal with that whining. And like, sure, did we fan the flames of that? Did Kevin Kincaid writing posts and, and Kyle Pagan calling and trolling the 49ers radio hosts, did we maybe add fuel to that fire? Sure we did. I'm sure it's entirely possible. I guess we did. However, they still had to wake up every day and decide that they wanted to go that route. That instead of focusing on the future and focusing on how they were going to be better this year, they kept living in the past. 
about how they were screwed a year ago. And so maybe it was us fanning the flames. Maybe it was WIP fanning the flames. Maybe it was the fanatic. Like maybe it was, maybe we kept that alive, but I don't think so. And Debo Samuel and that team were given multiple opportunities to kind of turn the page and they didn't. And then even recently, uh, I think it was during the media week out in Vegas, Debo Samuel was asked about if it's a rivalry between the 49ers and the Eagles. And he said, no, it's not a rivalry because games have to be close for it to be a rivalry. All right. So let's get to last night. 49ers did have some injuries. They lost Greenlaw to an Achilles issue. They did have a few guys go out. They had George Kittle go out. Um, last night's game was ugly. The first half was ugly. Wasn't a fun game. Wasn't an enjoyable one to watch. I thought that the Super Bowl commercials started really well, and then they fell off real early. About like halfway through the first quarter, they really started to drop off. Um, but the, the game itself, I, I was a little bit shocked. You know, you go into that game and you know that during the regular season, Kansas City had plenty of opportunities to get themselves in better position that they weren't going to have to go on the road as much as they had to throughout this postseason. Um, and they, they had some fatal flaws. And you saw them last night. And it was weird. Even going back and watching that game, Andy Reid coached like a coach who was coaching not to lose the Super Bowl, not to win it. There were times, like, listen, Shanahan is not perfect, right? And Shanahan has now been to three Super Bowls and blown three double-digit point leads. I'm not going to say that, that uh, Kyle Shanahan is the be-all, end-all of coaches, but I'm also not going to say that it was entirely his fault. I, I look at last night's game and I say, Andy Reid choosing to punt on fourth and half a yard after not challenging the spot of the ball was pretty brutal. I think that Andy Reid having Patrick Mahomes call a timeout early in the second half could have been a fatal flaw. There were a lot of things that I was very concerned about last night because, again, I was rooting for the Chiefs. And eventually I did put a little bit of money on the Chiefs. And I don't really bet on sports. I write about it all day, but I don't usually bet on sports. But I did last night because when I saw the Chiefs become a, uh, they were a seven and a half point underdog at one point in that game. I said, this is the time that we load up. This is how I win. Like Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. And so Andy Reid had me upset a few times in that game because he didn't coach like a coach who wanted to win. And yet Patrick Mahomes put himself in position to go out and win that game and to add to a legacy. They, they now have a dynasty. There's no doubt. And if you pull up the stats side by side of Patrick Mahomes before the age of 30 and Tom Brady before the age of 30, Mahomes beats him across the board, and he's only 28. He didn't have any legitimate receivers on this team. He didn't go to Travis Kelsey until late in the second half and then into overtime. And I looked at it, and I know that probably there were uh, everybody's drunk uncle and Delco was probably saying it, but like, should the Eagles have gotten rid of Andy Reid? Would he have won two Super Bowls if he had stayed here? And, like, look at this. We'll pull this up on the screen. The people in the podcast feed won't get to enjoy this. But um, this is from over on StatMuse if you're watching on the live stream. But, like, Mahomes has 1,900 more yards before the age of 30 already, and he's only 28. Twice as many touchdowns as Tom Brady. Fewer interceptions. Just as many Super Bowls. Three Super Bowl MVPs to Brady's two. That's insane. Like, let's think about that. Think, and, and I don't know where you land on this, but I appreciate greatness when I see it. I might not like it. I might want to see my team win. But when my team's out, I cheer for greatness. When Tom Brady went to Tampa and the Eagles weren't in, 
I said, I'd like to see if Tom Brady can win a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick. I know that might be like sacrilege to some of you, but like I can appreciate greatness. And I'll tell you what, if Bill Belichick were to make it back to a Super Bowl and the Eagles are out, I wouldn't cheer for Bill Belichick, but I would certainly be intrigued by history. And I'd certainly be intrigued to see if Belichick can win one without Brady, because until he does, you're going to have that Brady won one without Belichick thing. But I can appreciate greatness when I see it. I don't necessarily like LeBron James, but I can appreciate greatness when I see it. And I think that a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to see greatness and to appreciate greatness. But I go back to last night's game and the thing that, that really stuck out, and Craig, I think we, we have this. I sent this over to you a little bit, uh, just a little bit ago. But overtime was a bitch for the 49ers. And overtime was a bitch to the 49ers because they apparently didn't know the rules. And uh, we have that over on the site. But, Craig, if you can pull up that, I don't know if you have the, uh, the audio playthrough or not. Let's see if, if we can get that up. You know what? I didn't even realize that the, the playoff rules were different in overtime. So I, I assumed you just want the ball because you score a touchdown and win. But I guess that's not the case. Um, so I don't really – I don't totally know the strategy there. No. No. We haven't talked about it, no. So I just want that to sink in for everybody. So that was that was the fullback, whose wife made the uh, the jacket for Travis Kelsey a few weeks uh, weekends ago for Taylor Swift. I just want you to think about that, okay? Now I know that there had only ever been one Super Bowl that had gone to overtime in the past, but you would think that there would at least be a little bit of strategy. You would have articulated that. This is why I do go back to say to Shanahan, this was a mistake. I mean, we knew in the moment, and Tony Romo and Jim Nance said it when the coin flip happened. Like, why are you taking the ball first? Because in these rules, both teams have the opportunity to possess the ball. And a touchdown on the first drive doesn't win the game. So the thought is that perhaps they were thinking more about, all right, we're going to score, and then if the Chiefs score, we'll get to win this in sudden death. Again, I don't understand. I don't understand how you don't know the overtime rules, especially if you're a head coach. But the, the intriguing thing here, and Craig just pulled this up, is that Chris Jones said after the game, that Andy Reid planned on them going for two, even if San Francisco had scored the touchdown. Can you imagine? Like, think, I, as much as I said Andy Reid coached like a guy who was afraid to lose the game and not to win it, can you imagine the balls you have to have? You're in overtime and you have a chance to close it out, and instead of just kicking the extra point and taking it to double OT, that, that Big Red might have chosen instead to go for two. Now, we don't know. We haven't actually had to be part of that. We didn't have to see it. We don't know if what the plan was is what Andy would have gone with. But wild. Absolutely wild. And I'll tell you what, if I were a 49ers fan this morning, I would be pissed. I'd be so, I would be irate on a few levels. But I don't know who they blame. And that's the big problem if you're a 49ers fan today. Who do you point the finger at? You can't say, well, they knocked our quarterback out. We should have won without him. Or, you know, we, we couldn't win without him. Could you say like, oh, we didn't have George Kittle for a little bit? No. Are you going to blame it? Are you going to say that Greenlaw is the reason? Greenlaw's Achilles injury is the reason? I don't think so. I don't get it. I, I, don't, I fundamentally do not understand the, 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 the bitching that San Francisco will do. And Craig, I don't know if you have the other clip ready from the radio guys, but I mentioned at the top of the show the reason that I hated the 49ers and the reason that I cheered for the Chiefs is because of their fans, but it was also their media, and that included their radio hosts. And I want to go to this because these are the guys who fanned the flames for a year about how the 49ers were screwed. And I just want to throw it to them for a second. I just – a little bit of schadenfreude here. Wasn't it Cartman? 
Craig, who uh, who once did the whole thing about uh, hey, yeah, give me those tears. They're, they're delicious, salty. All right, let's go to it. Let's enjoy. Oh baby, oh baby, oh baby. Somehow, some way, we'll try to get through this as the journey ends with a thud. The 49ers lose Super Bowl 58 in overtime to Kansas City. And it may be one of the most excruciating, painful losses in 49ers franchise history. Bay Area sports history. Bay Area sports history. I almost put a poll up last night thinking about what's the biggest losses in Bay Area sports history. Father's Day 2016. Two game six, Giants, Angels. Talk to him. Kurt Gibson, Gibson, Tuck Rule, Raiders, Mm. Patriots, Brady, which starts off the dynasty. But I don't know where this one stands. But right at I the top, baby. Night, folks, as I say, good morning to everybody out there getting off their graveyard shift and with all the overnight dancers and all the teachers, all the students, all the cops, all the young Niner fans, all the mm-hmm. people who sat up there at the bars last night, watched the game, everybody at home. Shout out to all I those people. Not I hope they didn't shank the anybody. Last night. Yeah, 49ers. I cannot fans, do sorry. it to myself. It's the first time in a long time I've been able to say that where I shut the laptop down. Maybe after the first drive, and just sat there in darkness in my hotel room, Shasky, in complete darkness, thinking about what could have been. What could have been? But the drought continues. If ifs and buts were fruits or nuts, we'd all have a happy holiday. 94 season. Mm. And we got to go through this again. Another offseason, another draft, another training camp, another season. And all the stars align for this team. All the stars align for all this the stars. Team. But as all we said on Friday, premium players have to make gold jacket plays. Gold jacket plays. Well, the Chiefs' premium players made gold jacket plays. Mm. The premium players and the premium head coach did not make premium plays and gold jacket plays for the 49ers. And they're going to have to wear this one for a very, very long time. My apologies for, for being so Let's long-winded, just... Shasky, but it's yours, man. It's it's. Where, it's like, what, what, where, it's where do we even go with that? Stomach. Oh. I'm never going to get over this one, ever. Never. To your Never. point about like watching it back, couldn't even watch it back. It was just, it's devastating. Wow. You hate to see it, truly. You, you hate to see such a great fan base and such a great couple of guys who definitely didn't spend the last year bitching and moaning and crying conspiracy. You, you just hate to see it. You really do. So let's talk about the 49ers' reaction. They're sad, they're upset. And as What's-His-Nuts over there just said, premium players have to make gold jacket plays. Gold jacket plays. There's a reason that you're going to have multiple Hall of Famers on that team in Kansas City. And there's a reason that there are going to be a lot of question marks surrounding that team itself. Now, they're not talking about next year. When this happened last year, I don't know. I want to know from the people in the comments because I might, I might just be misremembering. When the, when the Eagles lost last year, I definitely remember part of the conversation being, hey, this sucks, this hurts, but we think that, like, you make a couple of tweaks here and there, and we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. That's what I remember. I could be wrong. That's how I looked at it. And the reason that I bring that up is because now we have to look here. We have to look at this team. We have to look at our Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, last year, Philadelphia went through this, like, unprecedented Three championship games, three losses. The Philadelphia Union blow a late lead. They lose MLS Cup. A few hours later, the Phillies lose to the Astros. And then we get ourselves all hyped up. 
And the Eagles lose the Super Bowl to Kansas City to their former head coach. And in each of those instances, I remember sitting there and trying to look at it pragmatically, and I said, all right, deep breath, it sucks to lose, but you've proven you can get there. Make a couple of tweaks, get back and win the game. And I will tell you this, with the Phillies this year, I looked at it and said, there are still holes, there are still concerns. And they didn't address them, or they didn't address them enough, and the Phillies got bounced early. And I looked at this Eagles team and I said, for the first 10, 11 weeks of the season, I kept saying the same thing. Man, if they have this many issues and they're still winning, just imagine what this team looks like when they put it all together. And then it became abundantly clear down the stretch that like, no, that wasn't the case. We probably did see what the best case scenario was for that team for the first 10 or 11 weeks of the season. And all it took was a few things going sideways for it to be very clear that the Philadelphia Eagles did not have a chance of winning the Super Bowl. And we had all gotten our – I don't remember there ever being a time where we as a collective fan base went into the playoffs saying, like, just let it be over. Let's just get this shit done with and move on to next year. But that's where we were all at. I, I know that there were some people who got themselves hyped up and were like, all right, well, it is Tampa and it is Baker Mayfield. There's a chance. So maybe, maybe, we can, maybe we can go on a run. I didn't. I said, like, let's just get this over with, you know? It's like having a – a dog that's deaf and blind has cancer and heart issues, and you're, like, feeding it six pills a day. Like, at some point, Sparky's just got to go. And we love Sparky, and we thank Sparky for all the memories, but at the same time, like, whoosh, there's no hope. And that's kind of what the Eagles were this year. And now you look back, and, and you look at some of the moves that they made by allowing multiple linebackers to leave, by not paying CJGJ, by bringing back the animated corpse of James Bradbury to play corner. By waiting until very late in the offseason, or later than we expected for them to bring back Darius Slay, by allowing Hargrave to leave, although he got a lot of money. And I bring this back because we found out this weekend that Hassan Reddick has been granted permission to seek a trade. And obviously, the, the collective fan base said, well, what the hell's this? Why would we let arguably our most impactful defensive player seek a trade? Pay the guy. He's a local guy. He wanted to be here. You got great value when you brought him in. What are we doing? He's 29. You're saying you're trying to compete for a Super Bowl. He's not 34. I've watched this team now multiple years say, like, we're going to bring back Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and Jason Kelsey. Now, granted, Jason Kelsey is a vastly different player, and his importance is vastly different from Graham and from Cox, you think that you have his heir apparent in the wings and Cam Jurgens? That's fine. I don't know if I'm ready to move on yet. And I would certainly like to see Jason Kelsey get one more run here. But in the case of Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, when they got brought back, the idea was, aren't we supposed to have young guys? Like, haven't we drafted young guys that are supposed to eventually step up and take their place? Isn't that the point of what we've been doing here? Like, aren't Jordan Davis and, and Jalen Carter supposed to take Fletcher Cox's spot? Like, wasn't Josh Sweat, in theory, supposed to, I don't know, take Brandon Graham's spot? You got rid of Derek Barnett because he kept making stupid penalties, and he didn't make enough impactful plays except for that one time in the Super Bowl. And now Hassan Reddick wants out. If it's me, I'm going to once again question the GM. I'm going to ask the same questions that I've been asking about this GM since I started doing this show with Adam Lefko and Kyle Scott back in 2017. You have, 
how are you going to sell a fan base that we want to be a Super Bowl winning team, but we're going to let this 29-year-old, who's been arguably the most impactful defensive player, go? That doesn't make sense. Now, unless there's beef with him and Vic Fangio, I don't get it. Now, you could look at last year's stats and compare it to the year before. I will just very nicely point out that last year, Hassan Reddick was put in position where he was dropped in coverage. Your best pass rusher was told, drop back. We want to be unpredictable. Are you out of your mind? That was the call? No shit he wants out. But you brought in a new defensive coordinator. Shouldn't that have been part of this? Shouldn't the conversation have been, hey, Vic, what are your thoughts on Hassan Reddick? And maybe it was. And maybe, maybe the reaction here is unjustified. Maybe when they were interviewing these defensive coordinator candidates and they very clearly had honed in on Vic Fangio, maybe they said to themselves, you know what? Hassan Reddick, sell high. Sell high. We think this draft has guys that can do what he can do. I don't know who those guys are. I'm not watching college football scouting. That's not my job. So maybe, I, like, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe this is going to be the most bountiful, plentiful draft in terms of edge rushers we've ever seen. Maybe. Maybe not. And if you're going to get rid of your best edge rusher, and you still don't seem to think that linebackers are important in the year of our Lord 2024, then I'm not sure how this defense is supposed to get better. Are you going to turn over both outside corner positions to young guys? Is that the goal? Because that doesn't sound like a Super Bowl contender to me. Are we going to roll back another year at linebacker with N'Kobe Dean and hoping he doesn't get hurt? That doesn't sound like a Super Bowl contending team to me. Are your biggest moves once again going to be to bring back Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham at advanced age? Granted, they still had an impact of sorts, and there were times that they looked like two of the better guys on the defensive line. But still, are the big moves going to be bringing those guys back for a victory tour, for a retirement tour? Is that the plan? That doesn't sound like a team that's trying to compete for a Super Bowl. I want good players. You should too. So what are we doing here? Now, if they think that this is going to be the defensive equivalent of what Kansas City did when they sent out Tyreek Hill, where they think they're going to get multiple assets back, or by virtue of clearing up that cap space, they're going to be able to reallocate it, and they're going to be able to go out and get corners, to get another safety, to get multiple linebackers in, and they think that that, all that Redick money, they're going to be able to fortify that defense, and Vic Fangio believes we don't need star players I can take the collective sum of the parts and I can make that into a Super Bowl contending team, then fine. But somebody had damn sure better articulate that in fast because what you're going to run the risk of, Eagles fans are going to come back, all right? Like, it will happen. Eagles fans will sell themselves every year that there's a chance of a Super Bowl. But you you erode a lot of the, the fan confidence and a lot of the equity you've built up with the fan base. And so that's my concern. If Hassan Reddick wants to move on, it's sad. And I think it's a shame that it ends the way that it does. But you damn sure better have a good option. And right now, I don't see an internal option. So, again, are we, is the plan here to draft a guy to replace Hassan Reddick's production? Do they have somebody that they've targeted in trade? 
I guess we'll see. But I don't like it. I don't like moving off of some of your better, your better guys without a, a clear, distinct plan or without a pathway where it's very clear where you're going to go. But we'll see. Howie has, to his credit, while his drafts have been hit or miss, and sometimes one could argue perhaps more miss than hits, he has done a great job in the trade market, but we'll see. Now, I want to talk about something else here that happened last night um, with the Super Bowl. A couple of Super Bowl notes before we go to the Sixers. I saw a lot of people complaining about Tony Romo last night. A lot. And I know that a lot of people do just complain about Tony Romo in general because they didn't like initially when he was tipping off plays. And last night, I, I'll just say this. I think Tony Romo is very good at what he does, but I think there have been some issues here over the course of the last few years where the higher-ups at CBS have told him to get away from what made him successful and what made him so interesting in the first place. And last night, it felt like there was just another fan in the booth. I didn't feel like I was getting insight from Tony Romo that, that like he provided that first year. And so my thought was, and I threw this out last night on Twitter, but like Greg Olson's about to lose his job on the number one team with Fox for Tom Brady. If you're CBS, do you consider a call to Greg Olson? Do you figure out a way to try to bring Greg Olson in? I know that right now it sounds like Fox is going to move him to their number two team. But if it's me, Greg Olson and, and Kevin Burkhart worked really, really well together. And I'm not so sure that, that Greg Olson would be a bad call as a color commentator. I think he could be a number one guy. I didn't think that three years ago. But I certainly think that I would have preferred that announced team last night. Or I would have preferred Olson with Jim Nance last night. I was disappointed. I, I honestly was disappointed in the, in the call. I think Jim Nance did what he does. I think he's very good. But I don't feel like he was getting the support from his color commentator. And, that, and that, that honestly, I think, was the biggest disappointment. One thing that was also a little bit disappointing, the start of the halftime show, I was like, man, got a lot of slow jams. You got to build up. You got to build up. And I'm sitting there thinking about, like, middle school version of me, right? Middle school me, blonde hair. Down to about here. Bowl cut. No, middle school is bowl cut. Bowl cut, blonde highlights. I was like Aaron Carter before the, before the issues. And I thought to myself, man, like Usher needs, Usher's going to need some cameos. We get Alicia Keys, and I see Alicia Keys trending on Twitter last night. I see people uh, going after Usher for hugging Alicia Keys the way that he did and about how uh, her husband might have to have some words with Usher. But man, like she did great. You got Ludacris in. Lil John pops up. That to me was like a nostalgia trip to middle school. I don't know how you guys felt out there, but I was really excited. I, I by the by the time we got halfway through that halftime performance, I went, yeah, this is good. This is an all timer. I'm not ready to say it was like number one or top three, but I am ready to say like that hit a lot of the nostalgia notes I was looking for. I saw some people that I'm friends with on Facebook are like, I don't like this. This isn't real music. What the hell is this? I was like, that's Usher, man. Like, you're not there for the vocals. You're there for the performance. And no better place for Usher to have that kind of show than Vegas. Now, there's uh, one question here I want to get to in the comments before we move off. And it's Joe Papel, who asks for thoughts on Travis Kelsey bumping Andy Reid. Now, I don't know if you saw this or not. And, Craig, I didn't tell you to bring this up, so I don't expect you to have this at the ready. But Travis Kelsey was asked about this postgame, about the moment where uh, he slams into Andy Reid, 
on the sideline, and it looks like he said, put me in the effing game. Like, keep me in the effing game. And Andy kind of, like, goes off balance, and then another teammate comes and kind of, like, whisks Travis Kelsey away. They're talking about it on, on the game about how, you know, Kelsey comes out, they're, they're trying to block that way, and, and maybe Kelsey felt like if he had been in the game, they would have converted. And I saw a lot of people, I mean, you, you probably did too, a lot of people on Twitter had a problem with Travis Kelsey bumping into Andy Reid, and I, I was thinking about it last night. I'm like, this, if you're a pro wrestling fan, is what last week was on Twitter with people saying Cody Rhodes has to finish the story. That's what this was. The Rock came back. The Rock's not a full-timer. He's stealing his spot. That's what I thought. But Travis Kelsey in Big Red's ear. And I have to say, I liked it. I did. I think that you have to advocate for yourself as a player. I think you have to advocate for yourself. And it's not like they're in their first year together. Everybody's relationship's different. Coach-player relationships are different. If if uh, Patrick Mahomes had run up to Andy Reid, bumped into him, hey, hey there, um, Andy, Andy, let's run the ball. Like maybe there's a problem. Travis Kelsey, he gets away with it. It's fine. And he, he showed up down the stretch, by the way. Odd. I don't know if anybody else found it weird. I thought it was weird that Patrick Mahomes seemed to avoid or maybe San Francisco had just game-planned Kelsey out a lot early in that game. But Kelsey really showed up down the stretch. And then he got his moment with T-Swift at the end. No proposal, but a nice moment. And they spent the night clubbing. They spent the night celebrating. Good for them. If you're, if you're pissed off about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, I hope you find somebody in your life. I do. I genuinely do. I hope that you find somebody who cares about you. I do. Somebody probably does, maybe. But I think it's fine. Uh, Kevin asks, what if T.O. did that when Andy was with the Eagles? Well, that would have been very different because that would have been their first year together. And like I said, he didn't have equity built up with Andy. If you remember, I, we can actually go back to this for a second. The funniest thing that happened the first year when T.O. was here was they talked about the shorts. Remember the shorts and the tights at training camp? Because T.O. would just show up in what looked like leggings, and so you would see everything T.O. was packing. And Andy didn't like that. Andy was not a fan of seeing Terrell's Owens, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, they had the bet. They had the bet about how many touchdowns I think it, would, it was in that season that T.O. would score. And if he did it, he wouldn't have to wear the shorts over the tights the next year. And he, he broke it. Or he got hurt. He got hurt. He broke his leg against Dallas. I don't remember if he ended up getting it, but I think Andy relaxed the rule for the next year. So I think that's different. I think that if you're in your first year and you ha- you're known as a hothead and you're known as a guy who's like a quote-unquote quote coach killer, then I think it's a problem. But Travis Kelsey's been playing for Andy Reid for years. I don't have a problem with it. All right, let's go on. There's one other, uh, one other team in town that I think made notable enough moves this past week and weekend that is worth kind of diving in on. And, like, if you're looking for Flyers talk, I'll be doing the Press Row show tonight over on the Snow the Goalie channels with Anthony and Bundy. Um, and we'll talk about it, where they've been winning and they've gotten off to a good start post-All-Star break. But it's the Philadelphia 76ers because the Sixers make a trade for Buddy Heald, an excellent three-point shooter who I, I still don't understand why so many teams have moved on from Buddy Heald. I feel like he just kind of gets passed around a lot. But Buddy Heald finally here. Furkan Korkmaz gets his trade, and I believe they, they released him that night. Um, Indiana did. But Buddy Heald's going to give you everything that you should want in a Joel Embiid-less offense, and then certainly when Joel Embiid is back when he's done dealing with his flap. 
Buddy Heald is an excellent three-point shooter. When you can add a guy who's around 40% for his career from downtown, you need to add that guy. Think back to when the Sixers were at their very best, right? And I think that we can all probably agree, maybe. Actually, I think I fought with Kincaid or Pagan about this last year. But like to me, the best, the best Sixers lineup that, that they've put out is the one that had um, J.J. Redick in it, creating space. And it had Jimmy Butler as the killer. And it had Joel and it had Ben Simmons. And like that lineup to me, even though Ben Simmons was a zero on offense, that was the lineup. And a lot of that had to do with the spacing that they could provide. And you look at it and you go back um, to like the Marco Bellinelli acquisition and the way that his gravity kind of freed up Joel in the paint. You look at it and you say, all right, like if this goes the way that it should, Buddy Heald can create his own shot. He's, he hit 38.4% from three this season with Indiana. He's got a, about a 58% effective field goal percentage. He's a good shooter. Adding good shooters to your team is never a problem. Never a bad thing. And especially when Joel Embiid comes back, you need guys that space the floor. So I was excited about that deal. You got off of the, the Morris expiring contract. Furkan finally got his trade. You dealt out a couple of second-round picks. Whatever. None of those assets were really meaningful. None of them were, were something that's going to cost you a championship unless you had like some kind of like uh, Turkish tea fever dream that Furkan Korkmaz was going to hit the game winner in Game 7. But uh, I did not see that. But the problem I had is the trade that they made sending a guy out. And Craig, I don't know if you pulled that audio or not from his podcast, but Patrick Beverly had some very interesting things to say. Before the trade deadline on his podcast, the idea came up about, like, what if I get traded? And his co-host was like, I can't even think about that. And then he gets dealt. He kind of breaks the news of his own trade. And I want to go to this because this is Pat Bev talking about finding out about the trade and actually leading up to it, him talking to Daryl Morey about whether or not he was actually going to be traded. So we playing in Denver, and I hit Daryl Morey with, hey, I'm getting traded. You know. No, not you. No, of course not. So he's a liar. Uh, <laughs> what you got to think? You feel me? Like, you know. Probably a bigger move that's about to happen. The uncertainty if you know you want to win right now. You know, a player like me, I want to win right now. So, and I get a chance to be the doc to and my coach Rex. Don't you dare lie! No, cut that man's mic. Cut that man's mic, Craig. We, I was with you, Pat Bev. I was with you until you mentioned Doc. Nobody wants to play for Doc. Nobody. Stop. No, no, no. You don't want to play for Doc and go into the playoffs. Are you kidding me? Doc Rivers is a guy who won a championship two decades ago and has been riding it with stacked teams ever since. He's been using that to collect a paycheck for decades. He had a stacked Boston team that should have won multiple titles. He had the Lob City clicker, Clippers. Not Clickers, not like I clap on, clap off. He had the Clippers. Then he had the he had the Clippers. That had Kawhi and PG-13. Did nothing with it. That team should have won. And what happened? He comes here. 
We're told Doc Rivers is the missing piece. He's the guy that's going to lead this team over the hump. He's going to get through to Joel Embiid. They're going to figure it out together. He's going to unlock Ben Simmons. Brett Brown couldn't do it, but, but Doc Rivers can. Because he had fantastic point guards in the past that could, that could get the job done. Sure. We saw how it ended here. It was, it was horrific. It wasn't quite as bad as Eddie Jordan running the Princeton offense, but it was bad. It was a very, very bad time here. And in fairness, Eddie Jordan had absolutely no expectations. Doc was supposed to take this team over the hurdle and into the finals and couldn't get it done. And no, and I see Ford says, call him Glenn, don't call him Doc. I'm going to call him Doc, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to call him Doc. Because there are bad doctors, and he's a bad doctor. If Doc Rivers were on WebMD, he'd get a, a negative one star. You can't even do it, but somebody could code it into the site. I also find, I don't know, I, I'm sure everybody else find this or found this, but um, Doc getting hired by ESPN, and ESPN saying we were worried about, about uh, Jeff Van Gundy leaving for a head coaching job, despite having done more than 10 years of NBA Finals games, and then losing Doc... <laughs> Before the All-Star break was hilarious. It was great. Um, Doc's not going to win. He's not going to win with Milwaukee. The Milwaukee fans are already turning on him. He's awful. Like I said, he won a championship two decades ago. Hasn't done jack shit since. But I, I, I set all this up because there's one other guy that got brought in here. Pat Bev got sent out. Was he lied to? 610. Was he lied to? When Daryl Morey allegedly said, you know, not you. His co-host there, Pat Bev's co-host said, so Daryl Morey's a liar. We could go back to preseason where we had the issue with James Harden, where James Harden's in China and says, Daryl Morey is a liar. And I will not play for a team or the same team that he works for. I don't know. Is, is it slimy? Are people going to take... Are people going to take Pat Bev at his word there? Was Pat Bev serious? Was he joking? What was the context? Is that going to affect potential free agents? Because the Sixers are saving up money. They clearly have somebody in mind for the offseason. They're trying to maintain as much cap flexibility as they can. You don't want it to be known that your president of basketball ops is a liar to players. But they brought one guy up. They're bringing a guy in who the maestro, thanks sweet baby Jesus, that he's not here for this show. But Kyle Scott is probably going to get a custom Kyle Lowry jersey made if he hasn't already. Now, Kyle Lowry gets brought in. And Craig, I don't know if you can bring up the, um, the basketball reference page for Kyle Lowry. But I just want to take people down a, a little bit of a, an idea here of, of what to expect. Because when he was rumored to be coming to Philadelphia last year or the year before... Kyle Scott was very excited. Villanova player. Villanova players, they're, they're foolproof. They get to the pros, and they just know how to win. Okay, sure. So Kyle Lowry comes in, and I see a lot of people going, oh, okay, well, that's good. You're, you're adding a guy who's won in the playoffs. You're adding a guy who can handle the ball. You're adding a guy. Pull up, um, go down a little bit there, Craigles. Uh, pull up the, yeah, yeah, let's go year over year. Yep, right in there. Zoom that guy in. Down. Per game, yep, there, zoom that in. I just want to take people on a little bit of a ride here with what Kyle Lowry is at this point in his career because it's not good, all right? Like, can he handle the ball? Yes, like, if you desperately need somebody to handle the ball in the postseason, is he capable? Sure. 
Look at the shooting numbers. Last year, he was a 40% shooter from the field. This year, he's up to, to 42%. He's only try, uh, attempting four shots a game. He's only attempting two shots per game from downtown. Now, he's hit on 38% of them, and I just got done talking about Buddy Heald and how great it is to have a 40% three-point shooter, and you could look and call me a hypocrite for pointing out the fact that like Kyle Lowry's not that far off the pace. But my problem is, and what I think a lot of people found in Miami this year, is that the man looks cooked. The guy does not look like the same guy that people were excited about when Miami acquired him. Because when Miami got him ahead of the 2021 season from Toronto, it was viewed as like, wow, this is going to be the guy who's going to put us over the top. You're going to add a, a legitimate winner to Jimmy Butler, and you're going to have that winning Miami culture, the heat culture that we always hear about. And he didn't, he didn't do it. He didn't get it done. He can't stay healthy. He's had a bunch of nagging injuries. He's just a guy. So if you're sitting out and you're like, hey, you know what? I think that Kyle Lowry's going to take this team, that he's going to help elevate this team. Nay, nay. Craig, I love when you pull stuff up. <sighs> okay, so fine. Craig pulls out one of my old tweets from 2021 before he was dealt to Miami. I said, Kyle, this is back in 2021 for the podcast people, podcast feed. Kyle Lowry would be a great addition to push the Sixers over the top, but it doesn't make sense to trade a young guard plus multiple picks for a guy on an expiring deal. He should say it's Philly or bust, get Toronto fans to apply pressure to the right by an all-time Raptor. And I was right then. Craig, if you look at those at his stats from the end of the 2020-21 season, that's a guy who statistically and eye test-wise was a guy that you would have wanted to add to this team. But that was three years ago. He was a better volume shooter. Again, he, back then, he was attempting almost six three-pointers a game, converting on 49%. I think I'm seeing 48.7% from downtown. Like, that's the guy you needed, a volume three-point shooter who could hit over 40%. He's not that guy anymore. He's averaging 28 minutes a game now. Do I think he's going to get 28 minutes a game here? No, probably not. Hopefully not. This is Tyrese Maxey's team. Buddy Heald's going to get plenty of minutes. Kyle Lowry as your backup point guard. You could certainly do worse. Overall, is he a better player than Pat Bev? Maybe. Probably. Not as limited. Definitely a better offensive player. But I would much rather, as Nat Marlowe says here on the feed on YouTube, at this point in the career, who do you trust more, Heald or Lowry? Most will say Heald. Offensively, without a doubt, if, if you're in a three seconds remaining on the clock in game six and, and you know not to give Joel Embiid the ball with three seconds left, I would trust Buddy Heald with that shot. Quick release, get a rebound if you need to. I, I can mess with that. Kyle Lowry, absolutely not. I do not want him taking that shot. But we'll see. We will see how this unfolds. I genuinely don't know how this is going to go. But this is the least shocking thing, and this is what we'll end on today. Kyle Scott, the maestro, quote tweets the announcement that he's signing with the Sixers. Kyle says, I wish this happened in 2017 when the Sixers had the chance to get him in lieu of drafting Fultz. It would have won them the championship that year. The Raptors with Lowry beat them by a centimeter, but still great nonetheless. Goat. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. What Kyle doesn't understand, because Kyle didn't watch the games back then, and he certainly doesn't watch them now, is that wasn't Kyle Lowry's team. That was Kawhi Leonard's team. And that team went as, Kyle, as, as Kawhi Leonard went. Lowry was an important part of it, 
Now, if Lowry had come here in 2017, given what was on the roster at that time, and given what that could have meant for Ben Simmons and where you could have moved him, and he still could have been a ball-dominant guard who doesn't shoot, yeah, that could have worked in 2017. I'm just glad that Kyle Scott isn't sitting out saying that Kyle Lowry is going to be that guy now because that guy is long gone. And he ain't coming back. This would be like looking at Darius Slay now and saying, yeah, Darius Slay is still, still a lockdown corner. No, no. A few years ago. Not now. Anyway, that's our show for today. We got to the Eagles. We talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about the Sixers. I noted that the Press Row Show is going live tonight, 6.30, on the Snow the Goalie channels. Flyers looking for yet another win post-All-Star break. On Thursday, Kevin Kincaid will be back here on the Crossing Broad feed on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, live. And then, of course, in the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher is dead, so not Stitcher, Pandora. Google Podcast is now dead, so I guess YouTube Music. But wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to Crossing Broadcast. If you are a first-time person on the stream, if this is your first time checking out the show, thank you for joining. If you're a long-time listener or viewer of the show, thank you very much for coming back. I hope to see you again on Monday. Craig, can you bring that phone number up one more time before we head out? Um, I want to thank everybody who was here. I want to encourage people. And actually, Craig, I meant to get to this, so I'll do this really quickly before we head out. Because we did get a message on the line, 215-839-8477. We got one voicemail on short notice, and I wanted to go to this really quick just so that people can understand what we collectively deal with here, um, having to deal with Kevin Kincaid. Let's go here. All right, here we go. Hello, this is Kevin Kincaid from CrossingBroad.com. I was wondering if you could rank from one to five in order of most juice to least juice, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Flyers, the Sixers, the Eagles, and the Philadelphia Union. Which team do you have the most juice for, and which team do you have the least amount of juice for? I will hang up and listen. So grateful for that, uh, that call from Kevin and Lansdale. See if, he, uh, if he's allowed to call back again this month. We have a, a caller rule here, allegedly. Um, I want to know from people really quickly before we head out where you're at as a fan. And you can tweet at me, at Joy on Broad. Let me know. I want to know where your fandom is at right now. Now that the Eagles are done, the season's over, the NFL season has concluded, the Phillies are getting close, pitchers and catchers, starting to get the warmth, the groundhog, Puxitani Phil, telling us that spring is coming. Are you excited about the Phillies? I'm not, but are you excited about the Phillies? Are you excited about the team whose president came out and said that they're happy with their team, despite the fact that they made a significant offer to, to Yamamoto, who still hasn't addressed the fact that they need another top-end starter, who has a very suspect bullpen? I can't get excited until I see some of those holes filled. We'll see if it happens. But let's see where you're at. Are the Phillies number one? Are you more excited about the Sixers? Like, let's, let's play that game really quick here before we head out. Are you more excited about the Phillies right now or about the Sixers? Kevin checks in on YouTube and says, Phillies are number one. Nico checks in and says that the Flyers are fun. I'm going to assume that Flyers are fun means number one. I don't know where you guys are at. 
Let's pull. Oh, so Kevin went Phillies one, Eagles two, Sixers three, Flyers four. It's hockey. Yes, that is the sport they play. Accurate. T from the 203 says Flyers number one. Ford. Ah, good old Ford. I heard Ford is going to be on Thursday's show. Ford says, uh, thinks that the Sixers are probably going to lose in the first round of the playoffs if they make it. Uh, Let's go to uh, Rico. Rico says Flyers are number one, Sixers number two, Phillies number three, Eagles number four. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Joe Papel says Flyers. An avid listener of Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. And Ford says Phil's lost due to lack of situational hitting and didn't get any. That is also true. Again, I at some point, maybe on a Thursday show, maybe Kincaid will have Aunt Sanfoni, Aunt San Francisco on to defend his 49ers. I don't actually know if Aunt's going to show up to the game tonight. To be honest, I don't know if Aunt's going to show up to the Flyers game tonight because, one, he'll have to deal with torts, which I'm not so sure he's going to do or wants to do. Hashtag coward. Bundy and I are going to hold him accountable. We'll see if he goes down to that press conference room. If he asks a question, we'll see. But I... I think Ant's afraid that he's going to have to answer for the crimes of his 49ers and admit the fact that they just didn't have it last night. We'll see. Um, We'll see. I want to thank everybody again for joining me here on this Monday. I don't know what we're going to call this. I mean, it's crossing broadcast. I thought about saying, like, do we call it Manic Mondays? Do we just do, like, the old uh, 50s song order? Monday, Monday. But thank you for joining me. And again, next week, next Monday, we'll do the show. If you want to call in, have your voice heard, that number is 215-839-8477. Thursday, Kinker will be in the lead chair. I believe I'll be here with him. He had said that there might be a guest. I saw Ford saying that he's going to be here on Thursday. So maybe Ford will be on the show. I have no idea. Kevin's show, Thursday's show, that is all on Kevin. I want to thank Craig on the other side for earning that $600,000 salary. He was on top of it today. With all the videos, with all the clips, with all the images. And I want to thank Craig because this show ran so smoothly today because of Craig was in the back. So for Craig, for Kinker, who will be here on Thursday, for all of the people who might show up on Thursday's show, I'm Russ. Thank you for joining me for this first ever Me and You Monday. I'll talk to you again probably on Thursday, but definitely next Monday here on Crossing Broadcast. Everybody have a fantastic day. And I'll talk to you later this week.